It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Oh! Hello. Hello. Sorry, I was a bit late. I've been sort of juggling this morning. And just before I dialed in, I have to say, I literally ate the piece of toast the fastest I've ever eaten a bit of toast. (laughs) (laughs) That's Gina Miller, the entrepreneur, activist and author who's probably best known as the woman who tried to stop Brexit. Before we get started, I'll just say I did offer her the time to eat another slice of toast. Gina Miller's campaigning spirit has made her front-page news all around the world. But even before her victory in the Supreme Court, as one of the most high-profile women working in the City of London, she's been calling out sharp practice in the financial world for years. Gina's campaigned about unfair charges investors are hit with, closing the gender pay gap and the need for women to embrace investing. Her latest worry? That the pandemic has set back women's careers. Women, uh, professional women, are saying they're not being included in Zoom calls or pitches and they're being excused as, oh, well, we know you're busy at home with the children. On this special edition of Money Clinic, one we're calling Money Clinic Meets, I talk to Gina about how her life experiences have shaped her personal finance story. So my parents couldn't send us any money, so I had to find myself a job. The fact that I was helping looking after myself and gave me an incredible sense of independence from a very early age. So I think from the age of 14, the the importance of money became really significant to me. From getting her first job, to starting her own business, to buying her first home. They used to have those little half bottles of Carver because I couldn't quite afford champagne. And I remember buying my little half bottle of Carver and sitting on the floor in our little flat in Tooting and feeling, you know, I just won 10 million pounds, whatever. I mean, it was such an extraordinary moment for me. In honour of International Women's Day this month, Jean has agreed to share a wealth of practical tips that listeners can learn from. And you never know, they could even inspire you to campaign for change. What better place to start than right at the beginning? You take me straight away to a smile on my face because I had an absolutely wonderful upbringing, not just because of growing up in Guyana and all the colour that comes from growing up in a tropical country with all the birds and the flowers and the noises, but also because I had absolutely extraordinary parents who inspired me. You know, my father was a, a social justice lawyer. He 
he became an attorney general. So it was a very much something that I grew up understanding that, uh, you know, we all have this duty to contribute and to look after each other. And also my mother, who was, I'd say, probably an eco-warrior before the term was even invented. She was incredibly careful with money and her sort of lessons to us as children were that what you have today could be gone tomorrow, so you have to look after it. And, you know, she had a place in the drawer for every bit of string was wound up and put in its place. Every tin was washed out and, you know, we could use that again. She was really careful that even though as my father became successful, we had money, we had to be careful for it loving the thrifty ways of Gina's mum, I have got some bits of wrapping paper in my house that have been reused three or four times. So really wonderful upbringing, but then it all was cut short very suddenly when I was 11 because, um, you know, we had a, a sort of autocratic leader in our country who'd come to power. And life was extremely tough. And my father was instrumental in trying to start a movement against him. And my elder brother and I, our lives were threatened. They discovered a plot against us and our family. So we were scooped up quite secretly and sent to the UK. My brother was 13 and I was 11. So all of that came to a very abrupt ending. Gina was sent to a boarding school four and a half thousand miles away on the south coast of England. That's where she learned from an early age how to manage money for herself. Gina, would you say is your earliest money memory? Oh, so vivid again in that. So we found ourselves in the UK and then restrictions were brought in. So my parents couldn't send us any money. And being me, I decided sort of at 13 that I had to help them, 13, 14. So I had to find myself a job. So I I went to a charity shop, bought the most grown up clothes I could find and walked along the seafronts in Eastbourne and found myself a chambermaiding job which I would do before school and on the weekends and uh, save money. So that was my first experience. And I felt that not just the power of money from such an early age, but how it could help. And the fact that I was helping my parents and uh, the fact that I was helping looking after myself and gave me an incredible sense of independence from a very early age. So I think from the age of 14, the, the importance of money became really significant to me. And I mean, an incredible experience there to you know, be earning money at such a young age. I mean, certainly when I was 13 or 14, I was probably spending my money on, you know, records down the local R price. Don't don't get me wrong, I did spend it, you know. I remember my first single I bought with great pride was actually from The Pretenders (laughs) all those years ago. Brilliant. Don't tell me the record was was Brass in Pocket. That would be a brilliant Yes, it was. Oh, fantastic. A great song. (laughs) A great great song song as well. Partly inspired by Chrissy Hind and her Brass in Pocket hit, that theme of financial independence continued and Gina launched her first business at the age of 22. The reason I I wanted a business, I I wanted it all. (laughs) I decided at a young age that I wanted to be a professional in whatever profession and I was going to be successful, but not in monetary terms, in the way that I would be able to grow a business the way I wanted it. But I didn't want to give up the idea of being there for my children that I hoped I wanted to have. Her ambition to control her own financial destiny met with some resistance. It was tough in those days because, you know, banks, businesses, um, institutions didn't take a young woman very seriously. And so, you know, I remember going into meetings, I would go in with my partner who then later on became my husband and uh, they would talk to him and not me. 
everything was directed at him. And I was thinking, but, you know, I'm the one who's written the business plan. I'm the one who's come up with all of this. But it was much more blatant, I think, the discrimination. I'm not saying it's gone today. It's just more nuanced, I think, today. One in three UK entrepreneurs are female. But on average, female-led businesses are five times less likely to reach a £1 million turnover than male-led ones. In 2019, the British government estimated that £250 billion could be added to the UK economy if women started and scaled businesses at the same rate as men. The figures are a shame on the industry, actually. And I think we need to now stop thinking about the rhetoric. Dial down the rhetoric and dial up the action is what I'd say to the city and to institutions. And it can't be just about gender diversity anymore. It's got to be equality of opportunity for everyone. I wonder, what would you say to podcast listeners who have either their own business that they're trying to grow or perhaps at an earlier stage they've got a side hustle that they're looking to develop into something? As an entrepreneur yourself, what are the things that you wish you had known when you were starting out? Oh, gosh. Um, I think I would have not listened so much to the advice that I had to have men on my board, which is what I was told at the time, you know, to be taken seriously. I think secondly, and we are in a different world now, but the language I was using from day one when I started my first business in the city, actually, in in 96, when I talked about um, caring for money and financial health and the fact that we were not just driven by profit, you know, I was told that that was sort of mama and papa's language and that to be taken seriously, it had to be much more professional And I think I should have gone with my gut then, because actually that is what a successful business should be about. It's about caring for your customers. It's not just about hard-nosed pursuit of profit. And I think you have to find your voice and be authentic in whatever it is you're doing. And I think we're in an age of authenticity now, particularly post-COVID. I'm hoping that this is the new age where businesses can be really discover their social capital, not just their um, investment capital or their returns. One issue that Gina Miller has constantly championed is the need for women to recognise that life is financially unfair and do something about it. I think it's structurally unfair because obviously the gender pay gap, you know, is still there, that women earn approximately 83 pence um, for every pound that a man is earning for the same equivalent job. You know, that should not be happening in 2021. But then you've got the savings gap as well, when you've got that, you know, on average, women have got sort of, I think it's about 25,000 put away in a pension, where a man has about 10 times that by the time they're in their sort of 60 to 64. So the societal structures, the financial structures, disadvantage women in a way that the culmination of which means that um, women suffer more financial poverty than men do. You know, if we are going to go into an age of pandemic, then we have to have money put aside. In a world of uncertainty, money is even more important. You know, saving is even more important. But just saving money isn't enough. Gina has spent most of her career encouraging women to invest. And here's why. Okay, you can put cash away, but if you have inflation that's eating away at that money, you want that money to buy the same basket when you're older than it does now. And that means it has to grow. You know, we, we've, again, there's been the odd initiative, but I think as, as part of our role with our customers has to be to encouraging them from a young age to understand why money is so important and the freedom, you know, it, that it, in, it, it gives you and the security that it can give you in life. And actually, 
You know, money is the most stressful thing that people feel. So it's a stress alleviator, actually, looking after your money. There's growing evidence that women's incomes have suffered disproportionately during the pandemic. But Gina worries that homeschooling has set back women's careers and earning potential. I have to say, I'm, I'm really concerned. Women, uh, professional women are saying they're not being included in Zoom calls or pitches for meetings and they're being excused as, oh, well, we know you're busy at home with the children or we scheduled the meeting in the daytime or we know you work in the evening. I'm hearing some very disturbing anecdotal stories of this. I think we have to defend the fact that we have the right to be in the workplace uh, when we come out of this. Every time I see a man say how wonderful hybrid working is, I don't see very many women's voices out there at the moment going how joyous it is um, because we're taking on so much of the responsibility. But we have to be involved in the decisions of what working looks like in the future and how pay looks in the future because you know, there are so many other questions that come from the remote working. What will that mean for pensions? What will that mean for pay? What will that mean for how you judge bonuses? How will you judge um, contributing to fee income? You know, there, there are lots of questions that come from this, which I think are incredibly worrying. If you're listening to this and thinking, how can I find the courage to ask for a pay rise, a promotion or fight for a bigger bonus? Then you know what? It's time to embrace your inner Gina. It's a whole imposter syndrome and it does affect all of us. So, you know, we can't pretend to be somebody we, we're not or something we're not, but we can learn to be stronger. And I think one of the ways I've done it is by writing it down and justifying to myself before I even go in the room as to why I'm asking for what I'm asking. Because if you then sell it to yourself, then you feel confident going and asking for it because you already, you know, put it down in black and white, work out what, what your worth is and then go in and ask for it. And I think you've got to do it in groups. You, know, you can be much braver when you're part of a collective rather than individually because institutional power is a frightening thing. You know, Seek out other women and do it, it collectively. I think that's a really good way of safeguarding yourself but also ensuring that you can really leverage what you're asking for. So there you have it. Even Gina Miller struggles with imposter syndrome, which is incredible when you think about her most high-profile battle. MPs must get back and be brave and bold in holding this unscrupulous government to account. Thank you. That was Gina addressing the crowds in 2019 after the Supreme Court ruled that Boris Johnson's decision to suspend Parliament during the Brexit debate was unlawful the second time she led a challenge against the British government and won. With all of these campaigns that you've led throughout your life, what fascinates me is where your inner fight comes from. I am driven by a real sense of justice, combined with the fact that I just don't like bullies. <laughs> I just don't like bullies. So I think, you know, that sense of those, those, the combination of those things mean that... Um, I'm fearful. I know people sort of can look at me and sometimes say I, I appear fearless. I'm not. I'm actually quite the opposite. I'm very fearful of what happens when you don't speak up and when you don't take on vested interests and bullies. Everything I'm, I do comes from the place that if I, we don't speak up and we don't call out these injustices, what is the world my children will live in? Long before Brexit, Gina was famed for speaking out about uncomfortable truths. 
She's campaigned for greater transparency about investment fees that people like us are charged by financial professionals who manage our money. But twice-divorced Gina is also prepared to speak out about taboo financial topics that few would dare to tackle. I have to say, it's not really a lot to learn from, because both my marriages that I was divorced, I walked away without a penny. I decided that um, I needed to preserve myself. There is a lot of pressure on women to make financial decisions straight after their divorce, especially in investments, and comes from a lot of from lawyers and advisors. And I'd say, you've just gone through to, through something that's akin to a death. It's a death of a marriage. In that moment, it really is important, I think, to take time and not feel pressured or rushed into making any decisions about your money. And don't be ashamed to ask questions because there is this idea that we're supposed to know. We're somehow supposed to know the answers to questions about money. It's not a simple field. So it's really important that you ask every and any questions and you feel satisfied with the answers. She also knows that many relationships don't have a happy ending financially or otherwise. People find it shocking that I am a a survivor of of domestic violence and my second marriage was a a very brutal one. And um, when you're in that situation, I I think there are a lot of myths about coercive behaviour and domestic violence and uh, it it doesn't happen to, you know, professional women or middle class. It's only stupid, weak women. It's completely, it is so not true. It happens any and everywhere. And uh, there is no stigma to speaking out because when you are in a situation where you know your money is being controlled your credit card is being controlled your bank accounts are in joint name so everything or your house is in joint name it is extremely difficult to make that decision because there is so little help for women out there from a financial perspective and um you know for me yes i left and i slept in a car for 3 weeks with my daughter and you know i had to cuz cuz yeah everything was paperwork i had to supply you know your bank statement your and i just didn't want him to find me and i think institutions landlords banks have to make it easier for women to be able to to have access to money and to finance and to accommodation without having to provide all of that paperwork if they are in that sort of relationship. Gina has spoken out about her allegations against her second husband before, allegations he disputes. In the show notes, we've provided links to plenty of resources for women who wish to leave a violent or coercive relationship. But Gina also has her own advice. My three messages would be, if you need to leave, leave. There is no shame in doing that. Secondly, you know, you have to find a way of going and ask help from whoever needs to give you help at that moment, be it family, friends, so that you can be in a secure place where you can think and you have your own thoughts, because it takes time for your own thoughts to come back. Um, and thirdly, that uh, there's an extraordinary future life ahead. You, you can rise up from it and be better as survivors. You're better than you ever were before. At the start of this episode, Gina told us about the money lessons her parents in Guyana had passed on to her. But how is she teaching her own three children? From an early age, I've shown them receipts and explained to them what it means on a receipt when they go shopping. So not just the act of going and getting them to buy something and bring it, but I explain all the numbers on it and what it means. 
now they're teenagers, the two youngest ones are teenagers. You know, I say to them, if I gave you £100 to invest and you walk down the high street, which which brand would you, which company would you invest in? And they'll go so-and-so, and I'll say, well, why? Well, a mum like Gina would make a formidable investment coach, but she advises parents to start with money lessons that are closer to home. I talk to them about, you know, what are their ambitions in the future? What do they want to do? My daughter wants to be, you know, an artist and travel to Tokyo. And I say to her, well, that means you'd have to put money away to travel accommodation. You know, think about what is what is rent in Tokyo? Why do you think rent in Tokyo would be higher than rent in London? So I sort of make the financial stories about their lives. Um, and I think storytelling is a really big part of what we do when we teach complex issues such as money and politics and things. So I'm a great storyteller and I believe that way you actually make it personal to them and not just personal and understandable, but they're then invested in the conversation. When she looks back on the story of her own life, Gina has launched businesses, spearheaded campaigns, started movements, but there is one moment that stands out as the financial milestone for her. I think it was really important for me when I bought my first house, that was so important. It was a small little flat. You know, at the time, I remember, if you remember, Claire, they used to have those little half bottles of carver because I couldn't quite afford champagne. And I remember buying my little half bottle of carver and sitting on the floor in our little um, flat in Tooting and feeling, you know, I just won 10 million pounds, whatever. I mean, it was such an extraordinary moment for me to be able to do that in, in my name and that it was my money. So that was a real important milestone for me. And uh, the other important milestone is is knowing that I could look after my, my daughter who has special needs, that I could actually give her the support and the assisted accommodation now that she has and I can provide for her. So the ability for me to provide for her is something, and I know it's me doing it, <laughs> which is extraordinarily satisfying. That's it from Money Clinic this week, and we hope you liked our special Money Clinic Meets. Gina Miller provided so many inspirational money moments in today's episode. Ahead of International Women's Day on Monday the 8th of March, why not share some of them with your followers on social media? This year's theme is Choose to Challenge, which frankly could be Gina's motto in life. So follow the hashtags Choose to Challenge and Money Clinic if you want to inject some positivity into your feed. If you'd like to be a future guest on Money Clinic and talk to me about a financial issue that's bugging you, then please email us. Our address is money at ft.com. At the moment, I'm especially keen to talk to listeners who are preparing to ask the bank of mum and dad for some help towards buying a property. I'm also interested to talk to listeners who need some help with setting up a budget. If that sounds like you, then do get in touch. Money Clinic was produced in London by Persis Love and Josh Delamere. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner and our editor is Amy Keane. And the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, just so you know, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here next week. Goodbye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.